So we're going to continue our series and our Christmas series here. And last week, Pastor Ben spoke to the reality that what came down when the birth of Christ was good news for everyone, right? You remember that message? Yeah, great message. Clear picture of what the Lord came from. And today we're going to continue in Luke chapter 2, covering verses 12 through 17. And this message has been titled, Make Haste and See. Make Haste and See. And what we're going to look at is the different responses in the text here between firstly the angels and then the shepherds. We're going to look at how that applies to us here today in 2020 and some real amazing truths that are in there. Before we get started, why don't we stand? I'm going to pray and we're going to read this section of text of God's Word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather as brothers and sisters in Christ. Got to be focused around the study and the teaching of your word. God, the only thing that has the power to transform our lives and to sanctify us, and to draw us into greater Christ-likeness. And I pray this morning as we move through this, God, that you would work on the hearts of everyone here. And for the non-believer, that they would profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for us as true believers, and that we would draw closer unto you. Amen. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. Great section here. And I want to jump back to verse 11. You may be seated. Where Pastor Ben left off to help us with a little bit of context. Because right before this, verse 11 said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. A Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So first things first as we move through this, is that Jesus came to be a Savior. He came to be a Savior, and you say, well, that's pretty straightforward. But I'm going to tell you, it's something that we really as believers have to settle in our heart, because if we don't understand what Jesus came for first, the rest of us, the rest of our thoughts can go awry and get out of place. So he came to be a Savior. We see that solidified in Acts 4.12, where it says, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no one under under name of heaven given among men by which must be saved. And that's right after it speaks to Jesus being the cornerstone of our faith. That's where salvation came from. That is what Jesus came for, was to be a savior. Interestingly, the word savior right here is one of two places that it's mentioned in the gospels in, in direct connection to Messiah. Which would have been the Greek word, excuse me, which would have been Christ and Messiah would have been the connection there. So the picture is, is not only that he came to save, but it was a prophetic thing that, we, that they knew about, and he was going to redeem his people. So a savior, wrapping our mind around that is important. But it begs another question, what did he come to save us from? Well, the Jews in that day thought it was what, possibly? Roman oppression, right? 
We could be sitting here today saying, well, my worries, my financial status, my self-esteem, my struggles, and my problems, right? All some examples. Now, don't misunderstand, ultimately, what I'm not saying. We know for a fact that as a believer, the Lord Jesus can restore those areas. But that's not the main reason why he came. Because it's also a clear fact, for those of you who have been walking with the Lord for any length of time, you may deal with struggles, and not that you may, you will deal with those things through the duration of your life, right? So that can't be the ultimate thing that the Lord came to save us from. Because we know that that's not congruent with our lives. The Savior does not guarantee salvation from these things. The Savior guarantees salvation from the wrath of God because of the sin of man. That's salvation. Jesus' sole purpose is to save people from their sins. Not to make you have a better life, a life of less fulfillment from worldly things. Though some of those things may be true, he ultimately came to save you, to save us so that we could spend an eternity with him. And because of this truth, not only for us here today, but back then when this was taking place, there were right responses that were made in accordance, which is the same thing for us here today. And that takes us to our first point, that heaven declares their response. Continuing in verse 12 through 14, it says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those with whom he is pleased. So right before that, we see that it was a singular angel that brings the message. And not only is it a message, but we see that it's, very, it's a very specific message. It's not something that you've got to try and figure out. He's clear. In verse 12, and it says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I think about those billboards that say, this is a sign for you, right? Of course, they want you to buy it for your business. But it's clear this is a sign, but what is the sign? So he talks about a baby being wrapped in swaddling clothes. Well, that would have been pretty normal, right? How many of you moms have swaddled your children as newborns? If you didn't, we'll report you. <laughs> right? It's a good thing. It's a normal thing. But this is what would not have been common in a manger. Right? How many of you moms put your kids in your animal's food trough at home? Unless you were making a cute picture, right? No. That would have been uncommon. But there's something specific to that because that would have meant they were looking for more than just a baby in swaddling clothes because that could have been... Pretty, pretty vague. So this newborn baby being able, to, being able to be found in Bethlehem, we know, this is so cool about Scripture. So we saw in the first part that Pastor Ben read last week that there was a census done by Quirinius, right? Well, you can go back and search that now through history and see that there was probably around 1,500 people in Bethlehem at that time. It was a small, small little town. It would have been like the equivalent of some of you that live in like these really big subdivisions, you know, like that are, you know, have thousands of people. Or like in the context of a city, you know, something between a Choctaw and a Montague, right? <laughs> kind of the size we're dealing with, right? But think about the fact that you got to go there and you got to, you know, like they don't have the things we have today. You got to go find this baby. But the message was specific because you're going to be looking for one that's in a manger. 
And we're going to get into that a little bit further here. But remember back in verse 9, as that angel appeared to the shepherds, it was a angel. And follow along as we go through here, because it says, And now, suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. A multitude of heavenly hosts. Because remember, our point here is that heaven is declaring their response. Can you imagine what that must have been like sitting there in that field? It's big deal enough that one angel's talking to you. But then a whole host of them, a multitude of them coming. It's like probably like fighter jets. You know, they do a flyover before a football game. It's kind of how I picture it. It's like, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I don't know why they didn't pass out. It's just more amazing. Or the flight of the navigator. Isn't that a cool little ship? Dom, you appreciate that one, don't you? I knew you would. And it's a fitting parallel because when we look at the word multitude, it has military implications of a military encampment. A multitude was a really, really big number. It actually comes from the Greek word plethos, which means a great number, which is where we get our word plethora. So there's also, so we got plethora, we've got plethos, and like for those of us here today, it's chock-a-block <laughs> or tick-tick, right? That's the best way to explain how many angels were there. But the beauty is, as we see those angels doing the same thing there as they're doing right now as these very words come out of my mouth, praising God. That's what they do. They're declaring their response of the holiness of God. Verse 13, the latter part, and the first part of 14, it says, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. These are those same angels that are praising the God that we serve right now. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Declaring who he is. Because they understand, when you consider the angels up in heaven and watching all of eternity pass unfold, and they're just waiting with excitement because now the Savior has come to the world. Wow. And they rush in in a multitude. Revelation gives us a good picture of that in chapter 5, verses 11 through 12, and it says, And then I looked. And I heard around the throne of the, and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We see that same picture of myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands. That, num that number there really speaks to it's kind of an unfathomable number that our human mind really can't wrap around. A myriad speaks to ten thousands of ten thousands. I mean, it's just, we can't understand those kinds of numbers, but a multitude rushes in the advent of Christ. But what are they praising God for? Well, firstly, the glory by which he deserves at all times. No matter what our situation is, just like Pastor Ben spoke before service, no matter what is going on around us, he's faithful, he's worthy to be praised. But the second part of the verse speaks to what Christ a little more specifically, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The peace that comes through salvation of those whom he is pleased. Peace doesn't come just because he's there. Peace comes because he saves, and he saves the believers. God is pleased with those who express faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the pleasing comes from. That's where the peace comes from. Hebrews 11:6 speaks to that for us. And it says, and without faith, it is impossible to what? Please him. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Peace comes through salvation, not just a baby showing up on the scene. Salvation is the connection point for the peace that we see, for the way that we are able to please a most holy God. So the angels, it's clear, they're praising God. They're speaking to this reality. But there's a response that is demanded from us as well. The second element there that the gospel demands our response. The gospel demands our response. The difference is, unlike the angels at that point, we can decide to accept or to reject. And there will be a day that we're going to have to account for that on whether or not we accepted or we rejected the Savior. Some of us sooner, some of us later, none of us know, but we will have to. But the shepherds modeled for us how we should respond when there's the specificity of the message of the gospel. For the shepherds, they elicited a response in them of excitement. Right, We see in verses 15 and 16, And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So just as quickly as those angels came in, they're gone. They went back to heaven. And it seems in almost an instant, the shepherds begin to discuss going see with haste. It's something that just riled them up, something that they had to respond to quickly. We see from the language that they use that there was really no waiting around. When we see in the text where it says, let's go over, that's better translated, let's go straight. Let's do it right now. The usage of the words there is an expectancy. There's something they had to do. They didn't just see it and then go about their normal stuff and then think about when they would plan it. No, in that moment, they said, we've got to go. We must go. Let us go. The grazing fields in that day would have been roughly about two miles out of, out of town. There was a little bit of travel that they had to commit to. But they knew what they were looking for, remember? Swaddling clothes, baby in a manger. It was very specific and what they were searching for. Now, I don't want to over-spiritualize it, ultimately, but today, some of us have, you know, we hear this idea of finding a God, find your own way, find the God that works for you, find the thing that has for you. That's not the gospel. The gospel's specific on what we're looking for. Remember, he came to be a savior. You're not just looking for something to meet your needs and find out this felt need that you have for salvation. There's something specific that you're looking for. You're looking for a savior that will save you from your sins that will ultimately send you to hell if you don't make that decision. It's bad theology when we don't line up who the reality of God is and why we seek him. Interestingly, in this text here, the word this thing, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing. You say, that's kind of like a broad usage of word. Jesus is considered a thing. Actually, when you look to the original language, the actual word for it is rhema. Rhema, which we know is the oral word with a very definite meaning. So it's not broad at all. It was very specific. Not only is it specific to what the baby would look like, but if we go back to verse 11, it says that you're looking specifically for 
a savior. A savior. The shepherds believed this message. Because we see right there where they say, which the Lord has made known to us. They identify with the fact that the Lord had made this known to them. This wasn't just something that they thought up and was some possibly weird dream that they woke up from or some crazy person passed by and told them. No, the Lord has made known. And that's what happens to us as we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether we realize it or not, the Spirit is at work in your heart before you express belief in Him. You don't see it. You don't recognize it. But He's at work. Some of you are here today and that exact thing is happening. The Lord is working in your heart, drawing you unto salvation. They knew that it was the Lord. And it solidified the decision because we see the next word they use. It says, and they went with haste. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. In verse 16 there. That word haste, which ties back to the title of this message, make haste and see. It means speedily. It means diligence. To desire something earnestly, to go quickly. It's not haphazard. That word there means that they went with force, with intentionality. Now what's interesting in the text, you go back and read it, the angels don't say, go. They don't give specific instructions to go. They tell them what's there. But what do they do? What is their response when they hear that kind of information? They have to go. They have to go see. The Lord has made it known to them. They go quickly. Consider a shepherd's responsibilities in that day. Right? Who's going to take care of the sheep in their absence? Because they can't just leave them unattended completely because that would be opening them up for potential destruction. Now, did that mean they combined them? Did they put them in a sheepfold? Did they have other hirelings or under shepherds that came in? We don't know exactly. But those are some things that would have had to have been worked out. But they quickly began to do those things. They quickly began to prepare on how they could go and see what was, what was taking place. The shepherds heard a truth. And they responded in belief. Same thing we do today. Can you imagine how that interaction must have been once they got there? Because we always see the picture of the nativity and everybody's there. <laughs> but that's not what it looked like. There was actual interaction and I realize it's a still shot. Um, but can you imagine they going door to door, knocking and house to house and going here and looking for, you know, can you how many people they said, do you have a baby? Yes. Is it in a manger? No. Sorry. See you later. <laughs> that would have just probably been a bit weird, right? You know, so they're moving around. They finally find it they're like, wow, there's a baby in a manger here in swaddling clothes. He's a savior. This is what the angel told us about. And then Joseph says, you heard of an angel too? And then Mary says, y'all heard from angels too? So they're sharing all these stories about angels and like just solidifying the reality. And isn't that so true when we come to faith in Christ? Everything just makes sense. Everything starts clicking. And you're like, wow, wow. Just like Miss Rose shared this morning, right? It just, wow. It's a big deal. They're sharing stories and how long they carried on, we don't know. But there's this picture of them seeing what had happened. What does it look like for us today, though? Do, do any of you have a multitude of heavenly hosts appear to you with a message? If you did, we would love to know about it, but probably not. But the message, even though a multitude of heavenly hosts has not shown up, is still just as specific 
and still is just as important for us here today. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified before a holy God. I added that part in. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And looking a little further in the text, on so verse 14 it says, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they, they to believe in him who have they not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Well, church, that preaching is happening right now. Each Sunday, that preaching happens. Each time you listen to someone that speaks to the name of Christ and the fact of him as Savior, that preaching is done. Lay hold of it. Lay hold of it. Because ultimately, what pleases God Continue in the verse 17, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? Through the word of Christ. Look at how the early church responded. Peter gives us an amazing picture here in, at Pentecost, Acts 2.37. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? What did the shepherds, they answered that, right? They went. What shall we do? We must go. The gospel demands a response from us. One of repentance because we need to be saved. The Lord needs to save us. So I ask you the question here this morning, brothers, sisters, those of you that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when the reality of the gospel, when the preaching of the gospel message presents you in your situation in life, how are you going to respond? Are you going to accept the truth? Or are you going to reject the truth? Because here's the reality of the gospel. We have a holy, righteous God who cannot exist in the place of sin. We've got humanity who in of itself is wretched and sinful and unable to do anything in and of itself, but wickedness. But then we have this great message. We have the Savior of the world that comes on to the scene, which leads us at the whole crux of this message this morning. How are we going to respond? Are we going to see that he is the Savior for our sin problem? Or are we going to reject it and say, not for me. Not where I'm at. I'm not ready. Did the shepherds say, not ready? The shepherds say, I can't go. I got to take care of a couple more things. We see Jesus all through scripture encountering people and he says, follow me. And some do in an instant. And others don't. They reject the truth. And let it be clear, the rejection of the truth of the gospel is ultimately what will send you to hell. It's real. So you lie there with the ability to make that decision this morning. Has the Lord been drawing your heart? Do you even realize that you need saving? Or do you think you've got it all figured out? What's beautiful is this today just as any day? For those of you that I'm praying, that are here, 
that would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The very same thing that happened on that morning in Bethlehem, that night in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago, will happen again. Luke 15, 10 says, And just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's real for us here today, too. That's real for us here today. So as I go through the rest of this message, my concluding point is going to speak directly to those of you that already have named faith in Christ. If you're here this morning and you've not made that decision, if you've not accepted the truth of the gospel, I want you to be thinking about that. I want you to be paying attention to what's going on in your heart. I want you to set it, settle in on the reality of the gospel and the fact that you do need a Savior. Because our third point this morning, as we see from the shepherds, not only, and this is the beauty of the gospel, it doesn't end there. That's just the beginning. That's the starting point. Which means there's another response that's needed from us. Firstly, we respond in acceptance of the truth of the gospel. And secondly, we respond and say, I got to tell somebody about this. I got to tell somebody about this. Our salvation in point three directs our response. Our salvation directs our response. Verse 17, it says, and when they saw it, they made known the same that had been told them concerning this child. I want us to look at three elements here in this last verse. Firstly, that they saw. You know, so that's pretty straightforward. And it comes from the Greek word harao. But it's more than just to see. It is to discern clearly. Now, you can see things, but not necessarily discern it clearly. Well, the shepherds, when they saw Jesus, when they saw the Savior there, it was clear what they saw. It was specific to what they had been told. It solidified their, their belief even further, right? They had already stated that they believed that they had a word from the Lord, but now they've seen it. They've discerned it clearly, and it says what? They made it known. They made it known, and what's interesting earlier, it was made known to them. Verse 15, they believed that the Lord had made it known to them, and now they are making known. See how that works? The gospel elicits a response in us as believers to go with the message. I love what the Lord does here. And actually, when I first was reading this this week, and you'll probably say, well, Pastor Matt, that's pretty simple. I don't know why you got so excited, but I did, so I'll share it with you. I read this, and I was like, wow, the shepherds were the first New Testament evangelists. I jumped up out of my seat. I ran over to Pastor Dom's office. I'm like, dude, can you take a break from what you're doing? And he's always gracious. And he probably said, yeah, I already knew that, Matt, after I left. But it was awesome to see the fact that they went. And not only that they went, consider what Pastor Ben told us last week. A shepherd's testimony in that day was not even admissible in court. It had no value. But here the Lord takes the reject of society with regards to testimony and lets them be the first one to share the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. But guess what? That's what he does for us too. How many of you find yourself now walking with the Lord over a time of faithfulness and you look back and you think, I cannot believe the Lord has used me in the capacity that he has. Right? That's what he does. 
2 Corinthians 4, 7 gives us such a great picture. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The shepherds didn't have it all together. They were unlikely. It's not about you and I. It's why we need to be saved. If it was about us, we wouldn't need to be saved. Earthen vessels. You consider a clay pot, a jar of clay, and how fragile it is in so many respects. But in it lies the treasure of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Think about your zeal when you first came to Christ, right? Some of you might have a little bit more zeal than wisdom, but you were excited about what the Lord did. You were excited about the change. And really, we see with most times, new believers are the ones that you typically hear from the most in a lot of ways, right? They're just excited because they saw where they were. They saw that they were ultimately saved. But my exhortation, my encouragement for us today, to me, myself, as church, as true believers, have we lost that fire? Have we lost the zeal of the Lord as our Savior? Some of us, absolutely not. Some of us need to consider that. Have we allowed the things of this earth to consume our time, our busy schedules, all the things we have to do? Has it gotten us into a place where we've lost sight of our first love? Has it stifled our zeal for the Savior? And if we have news about salvation, and I'm preaching to myself, how could we not share it? We don't want people to go to hell. If you want people to go to hell, I would question your belief. We know it's a reality, but we don't want it to happen. We want people to come to the saving faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Has our life of evangelism been relegated to a specific event from the planning of a church organization? Or is it our lifestyle? Do you wake up each morning and say, Lord, show me who needs to see you? Do you have one person in your life right now that you are earnestly sharing the gospel with? I challenge you to do so. The building of a church doesn't do evangelism. The people of the church do evangelism. The true church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, those that are chosen by the most high God, go out and share the message of the most high God. May we always be a church at Living Word that does so. And with this clear message going into the last part of verse 17, and it says, and this saying, and they made known the saying that had been told to them. Well, guess what? We see again with that word saying, which also means statement. In the Greek, it's back to that this thing thing. It is rhema. It's specific. It's a specific word. And for us today, that Christ came to be a savior. That's what he came for. We must be saved in order to have the righteousness of God imputed into us. So as we get ready to close here and we think about this Christmas season, as we prepare in our homes and we get things ready for family and friends and we do all the things that we just absolutely love, 
My question to you is, are you looking for more of a Santa or a Savior? What does your home reflect? What do your kids hear? What do your friends see? Because we know that Santa only comes for good people, right? Christ came for those that were in complete disagreeance, right? A Savior. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day a city of David, a Savior. For those of you that came to that concert Thursday night, which was amazing, I sat there and one of the songs they sang was, Mary, Did You Know? We've all probably heard that common song, great song. And I was listening to it, and as I was going through it, I felt there was one particular line that just left me sitting in tears. So when I got back to work the next morning, I looked up all the lyrics just to kind of familiarize myself. And there was three of them that really, really stood out to me. And one of them says, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters. He's a savior. And this one more specifically to her, this child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Wow. And the last one, when you kissed your little baby, you kissed the face of God. Wow. The face of God. The incarnation. What greater love. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would have life and life eternal. That's the message of Christmas. The message of this title was go with haste. Haste, make haste and see. You've heard the saying that haste makes waste. And it speaks to the fact that if you respond too quickly, you might mess something up. Well, I'm here to tell you, if you've not made a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't respond quick enough. Make haste this morning if you've not walked, if you're not walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. And practically, make haste right after this service. Head over to the, to the desk over there, the welcome desk. Someone's going to meet you there, and they're going to explain the gospel even further to you. They're going to love on you. They're going to give you some books to help you explain. So if you're sitting here and you've been thinking since point two, I think this is the Lord talking to me. Make haste and see. Express belief in your heart of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can then walk out a life of faithfulness. And for those of you here that have been walking faithfully with the Lord, May we make haste in telling people about the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a message that we should not be able to contain. It's been said of the church before, if you have such an amazing message, how could you not share it? Oh, let that not be said of us. Let that not be said of us. God, we just come before you. And we are so thankful for the message of Christmas. The fact that a Savior has come to the world. And God, in your peace comes through your salvation. 
God, through the reality of us accepting you as our Lord and Savior, believing the fact that we needed salvation, that it wasn't something we can do on our own, and we needed you, Father, to rise up within us, being dead in our trespasses. And God, you are so faithful, so faithful to do so. And God, as we leave here this morning, God, that you would seal in our heart that it is all about the Savior, God, in every area of our life, and that our response would be appropriate to your word. And we give you all the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you. Be back next week.